Amen and good morning again. Happy New Year. Indeed, he has been faithful. He has uh, cannot change. And we should shine a light. But Miss Pat, I thought we were going to hear, and he'll do it again. Right? He'll do it again. Because um, he will. Because he does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Just because it's 2023 for us doesn't mean anything's changed for God. He, he invented time just for us. Right? And we look forward to the day in which he will come and we will be translated out of time and into eternity to be in his presence forever and ever. Well, with the new year, I wanted to give a, a new year's message, a new year message, a, 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 a prodding, a, 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 an encouragement really to uh, press on into the new year. Sunday night, uh, Christmas Day, which really wasn't Christmas Day, it was the Lord's Day. It was God's Day. Every Sunday is the Lord's Day. Every day is the Lord's Day, you know what I mean. But Sunday night, Pastor John preached. And it just, uh, it struck me, uh, uh, and it confirmed to me what I wanted to say today, what I believe God God had on my heart to share with you. It's something that I've shared before, um, but it's good to be reminded Sunday night, John, Pastor John uh, preached on 1 Peter 3.15. It says this, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. The title was, Be Ready. And he asked us three questions. Do you have hope? Can you defend it? Do you defend it? Those are great questions. I want to encourage you, church. I will later on in the sermon, but I want to encourage you to make Sunday evening worship with the church a priority. This is the Lord's day. This is God's church. 6 p.m., I promise you'll be blessed. In that challenge of being ready, I found that it would be fitting to encourage us to be purposeful in being ready, because that's what I was going to do anyways, to to be purposeful in being ready and in having hope. And I want to give you today eight encouragements, eight encouragements to be purposeful so that you would be ready, so that you would have hope, and that you will be able to defend your hope. So the title for today is Being Purposeful. Our text is found in the book of Matthew chapter 5, 33 to 37. I'd ask that you would stand with me as I would pray, and we would hear the word of God read. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again, for who you are. And we ask, Lord God, again, as we enter into the hearing of your word, as we worship you already, and as we worship you through preaching and for, through listening, that again, Lord, you would make yourself known to us, that not a single word of any man would be made known, but only the words of God that you would speak to us, you would instruct us. We ask that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we would have 
understanding together with the saints to grasp what is ours in Christ Jesus. We ask it so that God would be glorified. We ask it that the kingdom would grow. We ask it for the sake of Christ and in his name. Amen. This is what God says. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. In our text for today, Jesus warns about making an oath. With the new year, we tend to make New Year's resolutions. We're going to improve ourselves. We resolve to be better in some way, either physically, relationally, or spiritually, all of which are very good things to do, by the way. We're not being against changing. We want to change for the better. But the question is really this, I guess. Is it really a matter of trying harder in improving our life, particularly in the area of of spirituality? Or is it really a matter of obedience? Is it really a matter of trying harder or really a matter of obedience? I know as I look at my life, it's usually an issue of obedience. I can put words on it, well, I'm just being lazy. Well, that's being disobedient. Inattentive, that's being disobedient. We want to change, and we know that we need to change. And so we would promise God that we're gonna, this is going to be the year, God. I would say to us, loved ones, do not do that. Do not make an oath with God. Do not swear to God that you're going to, because you will be held accountable for it. Let me explain. What is an oath? What is an oath? Jesus tells us that an oath is a solemn vow or promise to fulfill a pledge. In other words... If we make a deal with God, we're going to make a deal with God because I'm going to, I'm going to be a better Christian this year. And God's going to this and I'm going to that. And we make a deal with God. If you, God, if you do this for me, I'm going to do this. Always a mistake. God owes us nothing. We owe God everything. That needs to be the starting point. We owe God everything. He owes us Absolutely nothing. It's by His good grace and His mercy that He lets us even breathe. That's just the facts. You have food today? That's by God's good grace to you. Did you work for it? Did you earn it? Yes. Who gave you the ability to work and to earn? God did. God is gracious to us. Everything that we have is from the hand of God. Great is His faithfulness. All that we needed, Thy hand has Provided. We just sang it. It's true. But we're not going to make a deal with God because God, God's not somebody who can make deals with. God says, do this. This is the consequence of doing it. Not doing it, here's the consequence. That's just how it works with God. It is not a covenant 
We're not making a covenant with God because a covenant requires two people. A vow or an oath does not. If we make a vow to the Lord, it is expected to be kept. Jesus says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Numbers 32 in the law says this, if a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Deuteronomy 23, 21, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay in fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. Well, he just puts it out plainly there, doesn't he? The writer of Ecclesiastes says this, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. So in other words, of saying I'm going to do something and telling it to God that I'm going to do it. <clears throat> Carefully consider what you're doing. The Bible tells us very clearly, don't do it. Now, with that being said, should we not do it? No, we should do it. But why we do it or how we do it is what matters. Don't make a vow. Jesus says in verses 34 to 36, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool. What's he mean by that? Isaiah 66, 1 says, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is this house that you are building for me? In other words, he's saying, listen, I own everything. Heaven is my throne, the earth I put my feet on it. You're my ottoman, if you were, right? That's how great and big God is. He says, so this house that you have, it can't contain me. He says, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Psalm 48.2 says, beautiful in elevation is the joy of all the earth, Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. And what is the place of my rest? Again, I'm so big, I'm so great. I can't be contained within one building. Jesus says in verse 36, And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Well, that's actually not true, is it? I mean, I can actually make my hair black, but it'll actually just continue to grow and be white. We understand what he means. I can't change my genetic makeup. No matter what society may tell us today, you cannot change your genetic makeup. It is absolutely impossible. We are created in God's image. We are dependent upon Him for life. We are dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ physically, spiritually, in every way we are dependent upon God. And He's telling us, don't swear by yourself. Because you can't do anything. You have no power to do anything. Only one person, one being was able to swear by himself. That's God. Hebrews tells us, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. What Jesus is telling us here is that there is no vow, no promise we make that is outside of God. William Barclay, I like what he says in his commentary. He says this, here is a great truth. 
Life cannot be divided into compartments, in some of which God is involved and in others in which he is not involved. There cannot be one kind of language in the church and another kind of language in the shipyard or the factory or the office. There cannot be one kind of standard of conduct in the church and another kind of standard in the business world. The fact is that God does not need to be invited into certain departments of life and kept out from others. He is everywhere and through all through life and of every activity of life. He hears not only the words which are spoken in his name, he hears all words. And there cannot be any such thing as a form of words which evades bringing God into a transaction. We will regard all promises as sacred if we remember that all promises are made in the presence of God. So what do we do? Jesus says, don't make a vow. But yet, we're to be purposeful. To be purposeful means that I'm going to promise to myself or to God or some, that I'm going to do something, and I'm going to be purposeful in an action. How do we be purposeful? Just do what you say you're going to do. Jesus said, let what you say simply be yes or no. Matthew 5.37. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Psalm 15.4, David writes, Blesses is the man who keeps his oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind. Blessed is the man who keeps an oath even when it hurts. Jesus says that we need to let our yes be yes and our no be no because anything more than this comes from evil. Evil is better translated the evil one or the devil. Jesus told the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, who made all kinds of promises to God, right? In John 8, 44, he says, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So lying puts us right in the category of the devil, Jesus says. That's why it's important that we keep our vow. We don't lie. God expects his children to be truthful, even if it hurts us. We know that we should be honest on taxes and all those kind of things. We need to keep our word. If we're going to say we're going to come help someone, come help them. Don't tell someone you're going to pray for them and not actually pray for them. You make a promise to somebody, you keep it no matter what. The whole point that Jesus is saying is that words do matter. And by your words, you are justified, and by your words, you are condemned. The scriptures tell us that. So I would like us to consider some commitments that as Christians we have made to the Lord. Commitments we've already made. When you bowed your knee, as it were, to Jesus, and you accepted the terms of salvation, when you accepted the terms of peace that were offered, Jesus promised that he would give you his righteousness in exchange for your sin, thus securing heaven for you. But it's not a one-way street. 
It's not a get-out-of-jail card. How quick we are to claim, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, as if that's my get-out-of-jail card. And there's no consequences attached to it whatsoever. Well, that's simply not true. We, by our own free will, if we are Christians, entered into a covenant with God. Jesus is going to keep his part. It is unchanging, unalterable. What is our part? Our part, if we believe the Scriptures, if we confess Jesus Christ as Lord, then our part is to make Jesus the priority of our life, the number one of our life. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Jesus must be the priority. Jesus be the center, as it were. Yes, it is good to improve your health and all of those things, to be wise with your money. But it's more important to make Jesus all the more the priority of your life. The number one way in which you make Jesus the priority of your life is through the church in which He's placed you in. It's good to be intentional in relationships and all of those things. But if, however, our motive to do those things is simply to improve the quality of my life, then ultimately it's a failure. It will ultimately be failed. Will you, if you, you can commit yourself to a, a better exercise and you may become fit and svelte and look like, you know, some superstar physically, you may have that physically, but what will you have spiritually. You may commit yourself that this is the year that I'm going to have a financial breakthrough. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to invest. I'm going to do all the good things. But Jesus would say, what would it profit a man if you gain the whole world and yet lose your own soul? What would it profit a person if they were physically fit yet went to hell? There'd be no benefit in it. But if I'm doing things for the purpose of godliness, well, that's something else. That has eternal value. What is it that we can do as believers to keep our commitment that we made when we confessed Jesus Christ as Lord? I want to give you eight things in being purposeful in honoring the Lord Jesus as holy in your hearts and beyond. The number, the number one may not seem like something we would want to do. I think it's a lost art. It's something that I know uh, is on my heart to do more, that I need to do more. The number one encouragement I want to give to you and I give to myself is that is to learn how to lament. Learn how to lament. What you, happy New Year's to you too, Pastor. Thanks. What are you, crazy? I want to hear how this is my year. This is the year. It's an amazing for all those prosperity guys. Every year is the year. Like, what, what happened last year? Did Jesus fail? No. Jesus never promised you this or that. Learn how to lament. What does it mean to lament? It doesn't sound like something you want to do. You know, there's an entire book of the Bible devoted to lament. Right? Did you know that? An entire book of the Bible is devoted to that of lamenting. Lamentations. Lament, the book of lament. There's entire psalms that are dedicated to lamenting. What does it mean to lament? Lament means to cry out to God in repentance, 
sorrow, anger, or confusion. It is something that is to be done individually and corporately. One thing that we need to do as a church is learn how to lament as a body. Lament for our failures as a church, which comes from me, the leadership. I get that. Learn how to lament the sins of our nation. We're part of this nation. You read the Bible, you read the Old Testament, how often the prophets lamented the sins of their fathers. Oh, they did this. Think, I think of Daniel, who says, Oh, Lord, we have been idolatrous, and we deserve exactly what we got. We deserve to be in Babylon. But yet, Lord, somehow preserve us through this. We, as individuals and as a church, should lament that outside of our control, our tax dollars are used to slaughter unborn babies. We slaughter the most helpless in our nation. Do we ever stop and think about the sin that America is heaping on itself? We should never think that the righteous will not be swept away with the wicked. If Daniel was, you and I can be. Whoever lament the fact that our nation is so twisted sexually? And don't think that this stuff is not pervading the church. It absolutely is. Do we lament the fact that the church in America has gone its own way, has forsaken the living God, and has hewn out for themselves their own cisterns? And yeah, it's appealing and it looks good. Somebody showed me just yesterday, uh, uh, Andy Stanley, I have no problem calling that false prophet out, that at their worship service, they played Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven. What? That's not an uncommon thing. We should lament these things, that the glorious God, His glory is being taken away that those created in the image of God are being slaughtered by the millions. Loved ones, that should bother us. That should cause us great distress. We should not only lament the sins of our nation, how about our own sins? How often we just, you know... I confess because I got caught. Do we can lament over our own sins? Lord, I've done this. That doesn't mean we live there, by the way. That that's, doesn't honor God either. To live in guilt and lament is, does not honor God. But God knows what we've done. God knows the very things we've done in secret. Matter of fact, Jesus said, if you don't 
actually repent of those things, you know what's going to happen on the day of judgment? I'm going to tell everybody what you did in secret. Oh, my goodness, please, Lord. Let me, get, let me tell you now, Lord. <laughs> Confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. Lamenting. A crying out to God. I would encourage you to go to a, a website, a crossway.org, six, six articles or article, Six Reasons Christians Need to Learn to Lament. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because it is a Christian discipline of which we'll go over. But we are a nation that needs to learn how to lament. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Jesus himself lamented. Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He brought his concerns and his cares to God. He is our chief example. Encouragement number two in honoring the Lord Jesus Christ as holy and, and, and having your hope and being prepared to defend your hope and actually defending your hope is that of Scripture. Of Scripture. Make it a goal to read God's Word every day. Read it with purpose, though. Not just to get through it, read and ask what is being said and how can I apply it to my life. I would encourage you to do a Bible reading plan. I, I, I use a, an app called YouVersion. I do. I have for the last few years personally read the Bible chronologically. I like that. This year, what I'm going to do is, and, and, and I have it in my hand here, and I would encourage you to go to Truth For Life and download uh, Robert Murray McShane's Bible reading calendar. I think it's a great way. Part, part of what Robert Murray McShane, he gives you this autobiography here. He's an old uh, Scottish preacher. Um, and, and he put together a reading plan for his church. And part of it was that there's a reading plan for the family. There's a reading plan for the individual. And part of what he says also is that we would love, what, what greater way to encourage and build one another up if, as a body of believers, we are all reading the same thing daily? That we can say, hey, did you read, you know, for the individual? The, it starts in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. Wow, hey, did you read today in the book of Ezra? How God... Worked, you know, how to encourage one another. To be honest, you don't have to do the right, but I would encourage you to do it. Something we can have a common ground in talking about. How often do we talk about what we're reading and learning in Scripture? You know, have your own Bible reading plan, but have something of which you read and study daily and faithfully the Word of God. It is the very words of life itself. A great way in which to put the Scripture in you, by the way, is to come to Sunday school. Sunday school. 9.15 in the big room. Wednesday night Bible study, 7 p.m. in the visitor center. I hope we have to move it into the sanctuary. I would love for that to happen. Bring your kids to youth group. Bring your kids to Truth For Kids. Ladies' Bible study, men's Bible study, community groups. Perhaps you're here today and you say, well, you know, I don't, he lost me somewhere along the line. Come to the community group. We'll clarify it. 
That's part of the beauty of community group is to encourage one another in what God has taught us and to ask questions to get clarity. It helps me to become a better preacher, by the way. If you have questions, then I know, oh, wait, I need to learn how to, I can change the way I, it helps me. I would encourage you, come to community groups. The scripture says this about the person who makes scripture a priority. In Psalm 1, 2, it says, But he delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. What? Blessed is the man. Blessed is the person, Scripture says, who delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 19, verses 7 and 11 say this about Scripture. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Man, that's a lot of ways to say God's Word, isn't it? But this is the summary. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, if you remember in our study of Psalm 19, moreover, even better than gold and even better than honey, moreover, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Make sure you memorize Scripture. Put Scripture in your heart, your word I have stored up in my heart that I might not sin against you. It is the word of God deposited in us that when that moment comes in which we're tempted or may react, that God's word will come and say, hey, hold on, stop there. Whoa, let's not go there because that won't honor the Lord. Encouragement number three is prayer and meditation. Prayer and meditation. Jesus tells the disciples a parable, and it's this. It says, and, and he told them a parable to the effect that they, always, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. You know that praying helps you to not lose heart, Jesus says. That was the parable of the persistent widow who needed justice. And kept going and annoying the king. And finally, the judge gives her justice. He says, how much more will your heavenly father keep praying and do not lose heart, even if it seems it's getting me nowhere? Nothing's changing. Keep persistent. Keep, keep praying. Remember... When we did prayer as a spiritual discipline, Martin Luther says this, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, it's laying hold of His willingness. We have a willing and a gracious God who loves to give good gifts to His children. It's your Father's delight to give you the kingdom, the Scripture tells us. Meditation, but His delight is on the law of the Lord, and He meditates day and night. Remember what meditation is. It's deep thinking on the truths and spiritual realities revealed in Scripture or upon life from a scriptural perspective for the purpose of understanding, application, and prayer. We should pray as a family and pray as a church. Sunday morning, 8.30, prayer, right there in the visitor center. I would love for us to have to move it into the sanctuary. God's people would come together and pray. 
You don't think that that's powerful? Of course it is. I would encourage you. Oh, 8.30, really? You don't understand what my morning is like. No, I don't. But I know that the Lord is worth it. I'm not trying to be a jerk in it. Really, I'm not. I'm not trying to say I don't have any understanding for you. But I know that when I was at my previous church, my wife would get five little kids together by herself and get the church on time. So I don't mean to sound, I, I have very little, oh, you don't understand. What's a priority? Come and pray. I promise you, you will be blessed. You will be blessed. Encouragement number four, make church a priority. Man, you really want, <laughs> this God really demands a lot. Yeah, he does. He demands your entire being. He really does. Make church a priority. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I want to encourage you. I want to thank you. Because post-COVID, many churches... Many churches aren't half what we are right now. That is an encouragement from you to the leadership. I can't tell you how encouraged I am that you come, that you didn't abandon church. You don't sit in your bedroom and watch the church, which is, and if you are online, please, I'm not, you understand what I'm saying. You understand the priority of being physically together as commanded by Scripture with the body of believers. What an encouragement to see you on Sunday mornings. Man, I am so blessed by that. But I want to encourage you more and more. As Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, and do so more and more. Look at your bulletin. Look at the things that you can be involved in. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. The only day in honor there is Monday. Every other day is the Lord's Day. You can have Monday. Right? No, it's the Lord's Day too. You know what I'm saying. There's a lot that you can be involved in that will be for your eternal betterment. For your growth and for the betterment of the church. Because we are one, we're a body individually members of it. Everybody contributes. Everybody has something to give. Please don't think you have nothing to give, that you don't bring anything to the table. What you may bring, it may be small, it may be big. But you bring some, you're the body of Christ. Let's gather. What is going to hold us together when society comes to such a point that we're afraid to go to church. You understand what I'm saying? It's an understanding of the importance of the body of Christ that causes people in China to sneak to a building and to a room to gather just so that they could pray and read God's Word together. 
If you're paying attention in India right now, correct, Pastor Doss, will correct me. It is a dangerous thing to be a pastor. It is a dangerous thing to be an open Christian in India right now. Our pa- um, oh, God, I can't believe I just lost his name. Samuels sends me on WhatsApp, he sent, he'll send me things of the persecution that is happening, of the intentional persecution. That in Texas, just not long ago, there was a large a fundraising event for the purpose of destroying illegal churches in India. It says it right in the program. Have Christians, and yet you have faithful men preaching the gospel, faithful men and women attending church, putting their life on the line literally for the joy of being with fellow believers. And what stands in the way of me or you with joy? I'm going to come Wednesday night. I'm going to come to community group. Oh, the blacklist is on. Ooh, well, I'm definitely interested in the blacklist, but I can't let it be a priority. You understand what I'm saying, church? I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm trying to encourage you in the things that God says. You know what? Imagine if, hey, let's just put it. What if John the Baptist was standing here? <laughs> Woo! Yeah. He, he would, I don't think he'd be so kind about it. But he'd be right. I'm telling you this because I love you. And I want the best for you. And I need you. And you need me. It's not with haughtiness. That's just the facts. We need each other. We need each other. So I would encourage you, begin, say, God, what would you have me do? Where can I be found to be more faithful? Encouragement number five is that of giving. I'm going to say this right from the start. It's not necessarily an issue for this church. I hate talking about money. I really do. I hate the idea of a pastor appreciation month. I hate the idea of that envelope for a pastor, gift for a pastor at Christmas. I hate it. It's, it's printed in there. I can't do anything about it. I'm not that type of person. But I'm thankful that I really don't have to ever come and address the church about money. I think once or twice I did. And when I did, you responded fantastically. I really have no qualms about giving except to tell you that to continue and to more and more give as God would have you. The issue of giving is not money, it's the heart. And, and your giving is affected by how you handle the money, your money, in the rest of your life. Debt is a vow. You have to pay it. Matter of fact, if you're loaded with debt, you're a, the Bible says that you're a slave to the lender. Nobody wants to be in slavery. Now, I understand, well, I need a mortgage. I need Those things I understand. But if your lifestyle is such a way that you're building up debt and it affects you from giving to the church, your priority is way off. The Bible just says this. I'm going to leave it at this, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one of you must give as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, For God loves a cheerful giver. 
Encouragement number six, fellowship. Fellowship. That's different than the church. We do that at the church. We do that at Bible study. We do that at community groups. We do it in Sunday school. We do fellowship. We're going to have fellowship afterwards, after service. I'm not talking about fellowship, but being purposeful, inviting people into your home. Going out for coffee with people at the church, and not just the people you like. Right? That's easy. But getting saying, I want to get to know my brothers and sisters in the church. I want to know how I can encourage them in the most holy faith. Jude writes it this way, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourself up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. You know, we can do that if we spend time with one another, get to know one another. Say, hey, hold on. You know, the path you're going, that's wrong. Get back from that. Or encourage somebody, come alongside them, build one another up. It is important to have fellowship with one another. Our fellowship, the Bible says, is with the Lord and with each other. Community groups. Ladies, a great way, it's not just a fellowship, but mom life. Go to mom life, ladies. You're a single young lady, go to uh, the single young lady. I don't go to the class, so the single, uh, 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 Miss Sinintra right over there heads it up. Have fellowship. You have a common ground, have fellowship. But fellowship with one another. Make it a point, even now, today, just say, you know what? I'm going to look at someone, I'm going to see someone and say, I want to invite them over for dinner. I want to go have coffee with them just to get to know them. Why not? As we see this world going down, and it's going down fast, no one will really be able to stand alone. Will God be with you and help you? Yes. But if you don't have to, why? Build yourself around people who are going to build you up. How many of you who have gone through really hard things in life, devastating news has come to you, a loved one has walked away, physical things have happened, and you can say, you know what? It was the people of the church who helped sustain me. Amen. Right? That's how important it is. If you're an island and you're by yourself, guess what you're going to get? By yourself, if that's something to get. That's something you choose. Don't be an island. Don't be by yourself. Be with the people of God as much as is possible. Encouragement number seven. And I want to speak to the seniors. Let the older come alongside the younger. This is a command in Scripture, seniors. Titus 2. 
Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to too much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. I know that specifically in that day and age for women, but it's also for men, older men, see how you can come alongside the younger men of the church. Older men, come to the men's study. Share what God has taught you over the years. Older ladies, yeah, you have a senior saints fellowship. I shouldn't have forgot that. That's a fellowship, ladies, uh, uh, older people should go to. But older ladies, come alongside the younger ladies. You're commanded by Scripture to do that. How beneficial it would be for the kids in our youth group to hear of someone who has stood the test of time of going through the things that you've gone to. Youth group leaders, look, seek out the older and ask them, say, invite us to your house. If they say no, call me. <laughs> I won't. I, honestly, you know what I'm saying. There's single young ladies here who desperately need help that you, older godly women, can give. Give it. Come alongside them. Build God's kingdom. Build this church. There are young moms who are at their wit's end who need the advice and the help that you can give. Do it. There's young men who are struggling, who feel lost in life, don't know what to do. Older men, come alongside them. You can help them. Become a mentor to them. I want to encourage you in that. Grow in that. God says to, and you will be blessed. Don't think you have nothing to offer. You have absolutely... Just being kind and friendly and a listening ear may be all that's needed. Encouragement number eight, evangelism. Evangelism. Share your faith. Tell people the word. Tell people the good news. Psalm 78, 4 says, We will not hide it from their children, but tell to the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. The fact is, people cannot become saved without hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is Romans 10, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Of course, the Great Commission... Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Make it a priority to share your faith. As God would lead you, as God would give opportunity to those who ask of the hope that's within you. Of course, in order for them to ask of the hope that lives within you, you have to live in such, in such a way that it shows that you have hope. And let them ask and be gladly give. Look for the opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus. Pray for me, please. Tuesday night, I'm going to be in front of the town council, and they've asked me to give words for the new year. Pray that I would boldly 
give the gospel of Jesus Christ. Am I any great person because I got it? No, they invited every clergy in town. I want the truth of God to stand above every other voice. Not because I'm great, but because God is great. Make evangelism a priority. How do you get all those things? How, how, how do you make these things happen? By committing yourself to God's church, to the body and to the fellowship. As we look forward to 2023, it's going to be a challenging year for sure. It's going to be a year of great blessing also as we commit to honor God in all that we do. But I would say this, as we look at communion that is set before us, as we remember the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, as we remember a sinless life that paid the price of our sin, of a blood that cleanses us, of a blood that secures for us eternal redemption, what other response can we have but these eight things and probably many more? Is it not, is it not in reality our logical worship of God. I want to encourage you in that church. And I want to tell you, hold me accountable to these things too. Ask me. Did you read? Did you pray with your family? Did you read? Pastor, have you? I'm not. This is all of us together. Please, I'm not trying to sit here up in some tower above you. We're all in this together. You will help me by asking me such questions. And if I answer you honestly and say, you know what? No, I didn't this week. Gently encourage me. Because I will encourage you if you didn't either. If I have, say praise be to God. If you have, praise be to God. But in your hearts, honor the Lord Jesus Christ as holy being ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. May that define our coming year. May it define it for the glory of God and God alone. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You that You have given us everything your word tells us your divine power has given us everything that we need for life and for godliness. Oh, Lord, help us to respond. Help us to be found all the more faithful, Lord God. Put within us all the more, Lord, a passion and a desire for the Lord Jesus Christ to be glorified in all that we say and all that we do so that your kingdom would come, and Lord, and in doing so, we would hasten your coming. We ask it for the glory of Christ and Christ alone. Amen.